The Tom Woods Show, episode 2332. Prepare to set fire to the index card of allowable opinion. Your daily dose of liberty education starts here. The Tom Woods Show. Hey, everybody. As the academic year winds down, it's time to start thinking about what you're going to do in the fall. And of course, I highly recommend the self-taught K-12 through Ron Paul curriculum. Not only will your kids get the real story about everything, but they'll also learn the kinds of practical things that they won't learn in the traditional school. For instance, how to be an effective public speaker, how to manage money, and how to run your own home business. And of course, when they reach the high school grades, they will be learning Western civilization and U.S. government from old Tom Woods here. But here's the most important thing. If you're going to join, make sure you join through my link, because only through my link do you get $160 worth of free bonuses. My link is ronpaulhomeschool.com. Everybody, Tom Woods here. Rachel Alexander is with me today. We're going to be talking about the Proud Boys verdict, in case you did not hear. This is a fairly significant verdict for a number of reasons we're going to be talking about, but it fits into this overall pattern involving January 6th, involving weird, never-before-used sorts of charges being brought against people, selective punishment. Some people engaged in violence don't get punished at all. Who knows what's going on in banana America? But Rachel, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. First of all, can you try to describe as impartially as possible who the Proud Boys are? I would describe the Proud Boys as a group of patriots that like to engage in activities like protesting, acting as security for patriots. And they themselves say that they do not act initially in violence. If they ever do engage, it's only in reaction, say Antifa or BLM attacks them, then they will respond back and defend themselves. Okay. And so we're talking about, I guess, five members of that organization were in court. Yes. So the prosecution has been trying to prosecute five of them for their role in J6. And my article that I just published at Town Hall went over these convictions of the five for mainly seditious conspiracy and other felonies. And the, the head of the Brown Boys, Enrique Terrio, he wasn't even at J6, yet he still got convicted for seditious conspiracy. Well, what is it that made, the, I mean, there were a lot of people present on January 6th. So what exactly is it that these people are alleged to have done that was so much worse than what everybody else who was present that day did? Well, it's that seditious conspiracy conviction. That's the difference. They tried to say that the Proud Boys had a conspiracy in advance where they were going to engage in this violent behavior, but it's completely full of holes. You know, the prosecution went on a fishing expedition and I think it was half a million text messages between the Proud Boys in advance of J6 And they tried to say, well, look, this shows that they were in a conspiracy, whereas other people who just showed up on J6, they didn't necessarily have these text messages, right? But it just doesn't even pass the smell test because they said that the Proud Boys were reacting to Donald Trump's remarks. So therefore, Donald Trump would have had to have been part of the conspiracy, but Donald Trump wasn't even talking to the Proud Boys. And then the part that bothers me the most about this whole entire trial against them is the fact that the judge, in my opinion, changed the definition of seditious conspiracy. Traditionally, when it's been used, it's been used against people in the Civil War to try to overthrow the government. 
you know, that's what was happening with the South. And well, they weren't trying to overthrow. They weren't trying to install Jefferson Davis in Washington, D.C., though, just to be well, clear. They were trying to secede. You're right. They're actually just technically trying to secede. But what I think the problem is, is this judge tried to change the definition and say it just means to interfere with government. And if you see what a scary, frightening precedent that sets interfere with government. I mean, look at all the different types of protests we have across the country. People protesting COVID-19 restrictions. That could now fall under seditious conspiracy because you're trying to interfere with government. Well, I haven't seen anything that's in these text messages. It is possible that there could be things in text messages that indicate conspiratorial behavior and behavior anticipating the use of violence. So was there, in fact, anything like that in the text messages? Right. That's the crazy thing. There wasn't any. And even like the New York Times and these other mainstream media articles admit that there was nothing in there. In fact, when one Proud Boy suggested that they should storm the Capitol, the leader dismissed the idea. So the fishing expedition didn't even come up with anything. But the fact that some of the text messages had been deleted, so the prosecutors were not able to look at them. Apparently, the jurors said later that that is what helped convince them. Well, we don't know what was in those deleted text messages. So, you know, we're just going to convict based on what might have been in those text messages. Well, not to mention, apparently the prosecutors were playing clips of Donald Trump in the courtroom, knowing full well that in a D.C. court, that is going to get people riled up. This case is part of a general trend whereby it should be becoming obvious to people that finding an impartial jury, which has never been easy, is becoming borderline impossible as all aspects of life are becoming politicized. And you have to take a political side on every issue. And if somebody comes before you and you're a juror and is accused of X, Y, or Z, the political ramifications of it are never far from your mind. And of course, the prosecutors want that to be the case. They want to play on your visceral hatreds that derive from politics. And so it seems as if the Proud Boys, it's almost impossible that there could be anybody who would view them impartially in that kind of setting, in that place. Right. And everybody knows it would have been the best solution for that case to have been transferred to a fair jurisdiction. Doesn't need to be a right-wing jurisdiction, but a fair half-Democrat, half-Republican That would have been the obvious thing to do if you wanted to have fair trial. And despite, I think it was 16 requests by the defense to have it transferred out of Trump Haiti, D.C., the judge denied every single one of them. And, you know, I went over the jurors, how six of them had actively participated in left-wing activism. Not a single one appears to be conservative. One of them was actually going around saying the most vile stuff about Trump and try to claim all these conspiracies about. And that's what another juror said. And the remarks they use from Trump, we've all heard them stand back and stand by, or it will be wild if you come to J6. This is typical Trump behavior. Nobody for a second thinks that Trump is trying to get people to overthrow the government. It doesn't even pass the smell test. It's just, I would say it's laughable, but it's not because people are in prison over this. But right, I mean, Trump was not part of a conspiracy. No one really believes, okay, even the left in their hearts doesn't believe Trump was calling for violence. What is the potential sentence that somebody would face after being convicted of a charge like this? 
I didn't look into that very extensively, but I do know that it could be up to 20 years in prison. Yeah, I heard the same thing. I heard potentially 20 years. So we'll wait and see. But the way this has been portrayed after this decision was handed down, it's, okay, now look, now we got another one. Now we have to take this, given that we've established through these convictions that there was a seditious conspiracy, because that's what the jury found. Well, how could there be such a conspiracy without the participation of the ringleader himself, Donald Trump? So now we have to take it to him. So all along, really, he's the target of all this, it sounds like. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, one of the tactics of the left is you take down the easy guys, the fall guys, the low-hanging fruit, the collateral damage first, because they're not wealthy. They're not networked. They're not as savvy. They're going to be easier to destroy. So that's all they're doing. They're just going for the lowest rung first. And Trump can't really do much to help them because he's under prosecution himself. If he tries to get involved defending what they did, which is obviously, you know, a little more serious than what he did, forcibly or getting into the Capitol the way they did is going to be considered worse than him saying, stand back and stand by. So he can't even jump in and do anything. He has to just sit there and watch them take out person after person. And I believe they're just going to set this precedent with the Proud Boys. And then they're going to start coming after the rest of us who are less likely to engage in violence. But once you've already set that precedent, it can be construed so broadly that you can ensnare totally peaceful people like myself. Let's say I show up at some politician's home to interview him. They're going to say, okay, now Rachel's engaging in insurrection because she's interfering with his politician's ability to conduct his business. You see where this is all going? There were some, let's say, irregularities around the case. Like, for example, the FBI agent deleting and withholding messages and stuff like that. Can you talk about that? Yeah, this is just outrageous. Me as a former prosecutor, I really had a hard time with this. So this FBI agent on the case was caught deleting and withholding over a thousand Excel rows of messages she had written, but absolutely nothing happened to her. In a lot of prosecution cases, the whole case would have been thrown out for something that nefarious. And then one of the messages included a directive from FBI personnel to the agent to destroy 338 pieces of evidence. And not only did the judge refuse to let the defense cross-examine the agent over it, but he refused to let the jury see eighty of those lines. So this is the worst case where there should be a mistrial. The judge should be removed from the bench. And if the parties had been reversed, I guarantee you that's what would have happened. But instead, this was just all allowed to happen. It's no big deal. Well, we can't know this for sure, but I think your speculation seems to be fairly on target in the article that you wrote on this. I'll have it linked on the show notes page, tomwoods.com slash 2332, where you say, judges don't dare to treat those prosecuted for J6 like regular Americans prosecuted for protesting, since they don't want to be forever known the rest of their lives as election denier judges harassed everywhere they go. And that's an interesting point because we are, I think, taught to think of certainly Supreme Court justices, but also judges at large, as being kind of above and beyond politics. They're impartial. They're just there to hear the facts and to preside over the administration of justice. But the fact is, they're human beings just like the rest of us. They're subject to the same ability to be intimidated. They're subject to the same concerns for their own lives and 
are just as likely as anybody else to be influenced by these factors. Yeah, I linked in my article to an entire other article I wrote just focusing on why judges don't want to ever rule that there was like voter disenfranchisement of Republicans and other things related to the 2020 election and also the 2022 election here in Arizona. What it is, is these judges craft this reputation for themselves. They've spent years trying to create this impression that they're very erudite and scholarly, and there's very little about them on the internet. They've got such strict rules that they can hardly ever do anything or say anything. They can't get involved in politics. And so when you look up their name, you hardly find anything, maybe one or two decisions, which are usually not very controversial decisions. So once a judge sticks his neck out and rules on one of these types of cases, that judge is permanently going to be known for that the rest of his or her life, career, and the way the left is with harassing these judges. They go somewhere in public at a restaurant, they're going to be harassed. Their family's going to be harassed. They're no longer going to get invited to speak on panels. They're going to be kicked out of a lot of the things that their professional life that they've been doing and all the people they hang out with, you know, go play golf. Your buddies aren't going to want to talk to you anymore. And their jobs could even be in danger. Some of these judges can get voted out. Like here in Arizona, the left targeted two judges and got them voted out in retention elections in Maricopa County this last fall. That's never happened here. Judges don't get voted out in retention elections. And they're coming for our Arizona Supreme Court judges in 2024 now. So, of course, those guys are scared to rule on Kerry Lake's election challenges because they're going to get voted out. The left will start a campaign. So this is what's going on. My dad was a judge, so I understand this more than most people do. I used to represent judges when I was an assistant attorney general for Arizona. So I see all the inside stuff that other people don't, and I can talk about it unlike most lawyers because I'm not a registered member of the bar anymore. Whereas if you're a registered member of the bar, there's actually a ethical rule, which I believe is a violation of the First Amendment, that basically says you're not allowed to criticize judges. So no one's going to write that article that I wrote about why judges do what they do. Hey, folks, message from our friends at CrowdHealth. You know, when you make a monthly payment on your house or your car or whatever, pretty transparent, you know exactly what you're getting. But then you make this crazy monthly payment for your health insurance, and it's not even exactly clear what they're going to honor, what they're not going to honor. You know, you're going to have red tape to deal with, crazy claims processes, everything. Well, CrowdHealth puts you back in control of your health care and helps you pay for health expenses. Even if we ourselves haven't experienced them, we've all heard the horror stories. The typical health insurance process seems inaccessible, and it leaves you feeling taken advantage of. By contrast, CrowdHealth is simple, transparent, and affordable. You get a personal care advocate to help navigate the complexities of health events. You'll get access to a crowd of thousands of other members who are ready to help pay for large health expenses. $40 of your $175 monthly payment helps pay for your care advocate, telemedicine services, discounted prescriptions, and other tools to get you the best care at an affordable price. The remainder of the monthly payment goes into a crowd health account that you own, so you can help others in the crowd pay for their medical expenses as well. Experience healthcare freedom with crowd health. Visit joincrowdhealth.com slash woods to get your first three months for just $99 per month. That's joincrowdhealth.com slash woods. Crowd health is not health insurance. It's a totally different way of paying for health care. Terms and conditions may apply. In this Proud Boys article, you make reference to the 65 Project. And I feel certain that some people listening won't even know what that is. But I think people should know what that is. Can you explain it? Oh, yes. The 65 Project was started 
probably just a couple of years ago to target conservative attorneys. And they don't quite put it in that language on their website. They're more lofty language, like protecting the democracy from election deniers and things like that. But I wrote an article specifically about the 65 projects where I said in my article, they were formed to get conservative attorneys disbarred. And the 65 projects retweeted my quote without any commentary. So it's like they're not even denying that they are specifically formed to disbar conservative firms. I don't know that there's anything like that on the other side, because I think in a way, conservatives are kind of fighting with one hand tied behind their backs in the sense that they still kind of have this nostalgic sense of an America in which, yeah, we had some divisions, but when it came right down to it, we were all Americans and this, and they still kind of feel like that's still in play. And it's not. To the contrary, there's a low-intensity civil war going on in the country, but one side is almost unilaterally disarmed because it's sitting around talking about impartial legal principles while the other side is beating it over the head and bludgeoning it and using every dirty trick in the book. It's a very, very hard situation, frankly, for normal people to navigate. You bring up a really good point. And why isn't there an equivalent organization on the right? Well, let's think about it. That equivalent organization on the right would seek to get left-wing attorneys disbarred solely because they are left-wing attorneys. And I can't philosophically justify that in my mind. I understand that a lot of Saul Alinsky tactics really work, ridiculing your opponent, making fun of them. Yes. Do they work and do we use them? Yes. I use the ridicule one all the time at Trolls on Twitter. But to me, it's just a step too far to just disbar somebody because they're politically on the left. Well, so the situation we face, though, is, I mean, I'm sure you saw what happened at the law school at Stanford a month or two ago when Judge, I think, Kyle Duncan showed up to speak and they didn't let him speak and they heckled him. And then he asked for an administrator to intervene and he got an administrator. All right. He got the DEI dean who basically stood up there and scolded him for dividing us by having all these unapproved opinions. You know, how dare you have opinions that the New York Times hasn't approved for you? And you've got in that room, think about all those future judges or lawyers, I beg your pardon, but some of them might be judges who can't even sit quietly and listen to an opposing opinion. And instead, they have to shout the bearer of that opinion down. It seems like the legal profession is going down a very, very dangerous road. And I don't know what we can do about it. It's really, really bad. I have been in talks with people about how we want to at least start a legal defense group to help conservative attorneys that are targeted. I'm not really good at pitching billionaires for money, so I don't know if that will ever get off the ground. But somebody needs to do it because right now, I can't tell you as a journalist, it is so hard to get attorneys to give me quotes for my articles. They're all so scared of the state bar coming after them. So I write article after article. Thank goodness I have good clients who let me do it where I'm like an attorney who's familiar with election law, but prefers to remain unidentified due to fear of retaliation, said, we're operating under these crazy constraints now. Look at Carrie Lake's lawsuit. Her main attorneys representing her aren't even election lawyers because no election lawyers dare to take it on. And the election lawyers that I know, most of them are either under investigation by the state bar right now. They've been disciplined. Or there's bar complaints ongoing against them right now. I mean, all the conservative lawyers are under siege. 
So yeah, there has to be something to change the system. But part of the problem is the left is so heavily involved in state bars and judicial groups and all that kind of stuff because they're busybodies. You know, us conservative Christian types, we're all in church. We've got families. That's what we do with our free time. The left is different. They serve on HOA boards. They serve on state bar committees. My recommendation is we are just going to have to suck it up and we're going to have to start joining those obnoxious state bar committees. Well, I agree. I mean, obviously, you have to fight back and you have to go where the fight is. So I agree. But now, in principle, forget about how plausible it is. Forget about whether it's achievable. Just in principle, I want to know, in principle, could you see an argument for just getting rid of the bar altogether? (laughs) That it's just a cartel device. I have been fighting to get rid of mandatory bar associations since 2010. You can't get anywhere. No, you can't. But I was just wondering if I would scandalize you by even offering that opinion. Oh, like you shouldn't even say it because they'll come after you now? No, I just mean because I don't know if people in the legal profession even think that way. If they've ever even thought, it would be like me saying we should get rid of the American Medical Association to a doctor. He'd think I'd lost my mind. So I was just wondering if that would seem a step too far for you. Well, for the lefties, of course. I mean, they're all about, we all need to rule everybody's lives and run everybody's lives. So they wouldn't understand that. But like here in Arizona, for example, we're a right to work state. There is no reason why attorneys should have to be member of a union in order to practice. Attorneys are fundamentally different from doctors. You know, doctors, you could kill somebody if you make a mistake, malpractice. Attorneys, that's completely separate. And there's no reason why the Arizona Supreme Court can't oversee attorneys, right? Like, that's how other states that don't have mandatory bar associations do it. They just put attorney discipline and stuff under the Supreme Court. And the Supreme Court is elected. So you at least have a little bit more chance of a fair treatment under the elected Supreme Court justices than you do this bar association, which is just the most horrible, quasi-hybrid half. You know, it's ostensibly private, but it's given this monopoly by the government. So there's you can't do public records requests. You can't, you know, there's no sunshine. It's all secretive stuff that goes on. And it's just the absolute worst entity over lawyers. I mean, they came after me in 2010 and suspended my law license for six months merely because I was trying to take on corruption when I was a Maricopa County deputy county attorney. I want to be realistic with my audience, but at the same time, I always hate to wrap things up on a negative note. I don't want people to think everything's hopeless because Sometimes it does seem hopeless, but I guess my temperament just doesn't run that way. I always feel like there's hope. I always feel like there are things we can do that trends will sometimes undo themselves or whatever. Is there anything apart from the existence of the Federalist Society that you can point to indicating that maybe there's a light at the end of this particular tunnel or are we just in for a really dark time? Okay, well... As I said, I think we need to start infiltrating state bars, and I think people are going to wise up and do it. So we're going to have some progress there. But overall, here's what I say that's more positive. Back in 2016, I mean, I thought the country was going to hell in a handbasket, and what happened? Donald Trump got elected president. So we never saw that coming. And then I never thought abortion would be reversed in my lifetime. And then look what the Supreme Court did a year ago. So that happened. And then finally, look at what happened when Elon Musk bought Twitter. Twitter is the most powerful media platform in the world. And it is actually fair to conservatives. My followers are soaring. I've never been this popular. 
before I was shadow banned as a conservative reporter. So those are three major events in the United States that have showed the tide can be turned. So there is some hope that even in the legal system, something is going to change down the road. Do you have a link you would recommend for people who want to follow you? Yeah, definitely follow me on Twitter, Rach underscore IC. My personal website's Intellectual Conservative, and I write for Town Hall and also the Arizona Sun-Times. Okay, excellent. I'll have some links up on the show notes page. Again, that's tomwoods.com slash 2332. Well, I appreciate the conversation, Rachel. Thanks so much. Thank you for having me on. Bye. And thank you, ladies and gentlemen. Become a smarter libertarian in just 30 minutes a day. Visit tomwoods.com to subscribe to the show for free, and we'll see you next time.